I've also been uh, interviewing Islamic State supporters over the last uh, over the last well almost ten years. Um, they were very happy when Trump got elected, for example, because they knew this will increase polarization in the United States. They were very pleased with Brexit. They 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 applaud these kind of right-wing populist leaders in uh, popping up in, in the Western world because they know this will increase polarization and that will drive some people to us. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil. The International Criminal Court sentenced former Ugandan militia leader Dominic Ongwen to 25 years in jail. The news came of the shootings on the island of Utoa. Across Paris, other attackers detonate their suicide vests. Bombs explode throughout London. It was an act of pure evil. Hello and welcome to today's podcast on perpetrators of mass atrocities, terribly and terrifyingly normal. I am your host, Nicola Kwaadvlieg, and as always, I am joined by Alette Smeunders, professor at the University of Groningen, specialized in perpetrators. And today we're joined by Pieter Nanninga, who is also from the University of Groningen. He is an expert in violence and religion, the Middle East and jihadism. Together, we'll be doing the podcast series with today's main aim question, what is the role of ideology in mass atrocities? Peter, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, let's start with you and your research, uh, especially your research. What what do you focus on? Yes, well, you've introduced me a bit already. Uh, my, my main research uh, focus is on jihadism, on the role of jihadism in the Middle East, um, especially the transnational jihadi movements. So this means organizations like Al-Qaeda, Islamic State. Um, what I'm particularly interested in is um, in the role of violence, uh, in jihadi violence, mm-hmm. uh, the role of religion, and also uh, jihadi propaganda. These are my three main areas of expertise. Um, and I have, over the last couple of years, mainly focused on the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. Mm-hmm. And today's podcast is on ideology. Um, to what extent does ideology play a role in your research? Um, well, my background is in religious studies. I did my PhD in religious studies. So uh, from that perspective, I've, I've been focusing on the role of religion in violence and um, by extension, also the role of religious ideologies in violence. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously, well, we, we will probably discuss this, but religion and ideology is not exactly the same. But um, in that sense, ideology is important, has been important in my, in my work. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And um, Alex Meilers, you, uh, uh, you and your research also focus on, on ideology. Uh, what is the role of ideology in, in, your, in your research? Well, I think that ideology plays a role in, in all mass atrocities for all perpetrators because ideology motivates people um, but also legitimizes and justifies the, the violence. And I think in the research on perpetrators, you can distinguish those who are really driven by an ideology, who commit their crimes out of a certain ideology or some religious uh, motivation or um, ideas about religion. And um, so, so they are the certain types like the fanatics, the true believers and holy warriors in my topology are mainly driven by that. But our, uh, ideology plays a role for everyone in the sense of legitimizing, justifying, justifying the violence that within the ideology, there are ways where they say for what reason violence is acceptable and justifiable. What is ideology according to you? 
Ideology is a set of ideas that motivates people and usually with the ideologies I focus on, which are exclusionary ideologies and genocidal ideologies, there generally is also an idea of what the world should look like, um, a better world than we have now, so it gives a certain sense of direction towards a certain utopia. In these types of ideologies, there's also this element of superiority of a certain group, the in-group and um, demonizing and dehumanizing of the people who are not part of the in-group. And those people are generally also blamed for all the misfortunes of the in-group and are blamed for the fact that we don't have a, a perfect world. So in that sense, ideology provides a lot of uh, the elements that make it acceptable for the perpetrators to commit horrendous crimes. Do you have an example? Um, there are a lot of uh, examples, but for instance, in Nazi Germany, ideology played a role where, for instance, they tried to create uh, a greater German state with a superior race, the Aryan uh, race, and saw um, a lot of other groups, uh, especially the Jews, as um, lesser uh, people, and they dehumanized them, and they wanted to create a better world. And I think, therefore, ideology plays an important role because a lot of perpetrators, we see them as people committing horrendous crimes, and of course they are, but they themselves see them uh, as people trying to create a better world. Well, um, Hitler, Nazi Germany was an example, but also many of the uh, extremist interpretations of religion, like uh, radical Islamism, jihadism, play a part in that as well. And that's what your research focus on, uh, focuses on, uh, Peter. Do you agree that ideology is uh, a necessary component of, of all mass atrocities to some extent? I think, well, that's, that's very general, obviously, but I think in all mass atrocities, ideology plays a role. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, well, well, I fully agree that, that in ideologies in relation to, to mass atrocities, um, what is often important is a very sharp boundary between us and them, between an in-group and an out-group in, in ideologies that, that can motivate or legitimize violence. And usually the out-group is blamed for, for problems, the out-group is, is portrayed as threatening the in-group, um, threatening the progress of the in-group or even the existence of the in-group. And so this, this might legitimize violence against the out-group. And, um, well, there, there are many examples of in-groups and out-groups. This can be religious groups, but this can also be a nation or uh, a racial group or, or whatever. Um, but I think, in, in general, these are the lines that, that within these ideologies are very important in relation to mass atrocities. Mm -hmm. And uh, at, at the start of today's podcast, you said that uh, ideology and religion are not, not exactly the same. Uh, can you elaborate on this point? Yeah, that's that's a it's it's a complicated issue because mm -hmm. there there are hundreds of definitions of ideology. There are hundreds of definitions of religion. Um, over the last century, scholars have debated a lot about what is religion, uh, what is what is what is it not? What can we say? Can we can we provide a clear definition of religion? Well, the general consensus within the field of religious studies is that it is impossible to give a universal definition of religion. Um, usually we, we oppose religion from, from the non-religious, the religious versus the secular, but this is actually a, a, a modern construct opposing religion from what not religion is, because religion 
interferes in all domains of life, and it's very hard to separate these two, to separate between what is religious and what is non, not, not religious. Um, in general, I think ideology is uh, referred to, as, as Alette already said, as a, as a, as a system, a framework of, of beliefs and ideas um, that enables people to, to make sense of the world, to understand the world, and also gives a blueprint for action. This can be motivated by religion, or this can, can be a religious ideology, but that's not necessarily the case. There are also ideologies where religion is, is not involved or not very important. On the other hand, religion is, one could say, broader than ideology only. Religion also has to do with the daily lives of people, with how to, how to just live a good life as a, as a human being, without these huge ideas about society or about politics and about changing society and these 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 very important ideals so um i think religion is both broader than ideology but also one could say ideology does not always include religion mm -hmm. does this make it difficult to study um religion and, and ideology mass atrocities yeah, in a sense, in a sense, it does. I think, and also because these are so complex, complex concepts, with, which are very contested also among scholars. There are no clear-cut definitions of religion and ideology, so it's, it's in in that sense, also very hard to give a clear-cut answer to the question: What is the role of ideology, or what is the role of religion in mass atrocities, in terrorism? That that is a complicated issue. Yeah. And if we look um, uh, at, at the Islam, which is what most of your research is about, if I'm not mistaken, um, is that is that easier to define what Islam is? No, that's also very difficult. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, there are there are there are hundreds of different views on what Islam is. Views by scholars, but also views by believers, by non-believers. Um, and well, to give a very concrete example, one one Muslim could say Islam means peace. Islam really is is peace to me. Um, whereas someone else, uh, a jihadi, for example, can say no. Islam means struggle. It means it means fighting. It means Islamizing the world. So these are two very different ideas of what what Islam involves for for the believers. And and well, one could say the same is is true for 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 scholars for experts on islam there are a lot of different interpretations if if we try to still despite the difficulties look at the role of islam in in mass atrocities is is there any link um well in some cases there obviously is um in other cases there's not um mm -hmm. islam is uh as as in, in the sense of an ideology as as i let just just said an ideology and and also muslim ideologies islamic ideologies like political islamism can motivate people to commit violence can uh, justify violence in hindsight um so in that sense there is uh that there, there can be a link but what i think is really important is uh, uh that it's not it's it's never religion or islam only it's mm -hmm. always a combination of issues a combination of factors that drive people towards violence this is not just religion but it's always religion in combination with other factors political so social uh, cultural psychological and you always have to look at these factors in combination it's very hard to to um 
to focus on ideology only in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, is that something you see in your research as well, Alette? Yes, I think it's always a combination of, uh, of factors. Yet I do believe, um, and that's why I developed the typology, is that with certain perpetrators you see a different element um, as the main motive. And for some, as I said, for all perpetrators, I think ideology somehow is relevant, but for some it's the main motivating factor. For others, it's uh, self-interest, material gain or careerism. Um, so in that sense, I think, yes, always a lot of different factors play a role and come together. Um, but I feel that you can still very often see one main factor, although I must also admit that for some perpetrators, it's sometimes very difficult to, to see what is the main thing if two different things, like for instance, careerism and ideology, both play an important role. Yeah, that's that's what I would also say. That even in cases where ideology is very prominent, and let, let's let's look at the Islamic State, for example. They always emphasize the importance of Islam, the importance of religion for for their actions. But if you look at individual perpetrators, it's also about their backgrounds, about socioeconomic backgrounds, about about psychology, about cultural backgrounds, about political ideas, political context where they are from. So. In that sense, it's, it's again very hard, I think, to isolate the ideology or religion factor from the, the other factors. And you always have to look at them in, in combination, I think. And of course, I agree for some uh, perpetrators, religion, ideology is more important than for others. Mm -hmm. um, if we try to look at it in a combination, um, you've mentioned self-interest and, and careerists. Uh, and in your research, you've, you've mentioned some uh, Muslims going for martyrdom. Uh, is this a, a form of self-interest? Martyrdom? Um, no, I don't think so. Explain. Um, I think um, martyrdom, well, we usually refer to, to, to suicide attacks by means of the term suicide attacks. Mm -hmm. um, but this, this well, I'm, I'm mainly talking about jihadism now because that's my main field of expertise. Um, I think Jihadis generally do not view, see these operations as suicide. They see it as martyrdom operations. Um, and this has a very different connotation than the idea of suicide, the idea that you want to escape the world because you're, you're, you don't want to live any longer. Um, I think it is, it is uh, more fruitful to compare suicide attacks, martyrdom, with the idea of sacrifice that you are sacrificing yourself, you are sacrificing even your life, the most important thing you have, one could say, for your cause, for your, for your group, but also for your, for your beliefs, for your, for your struggle. Um, so this is, in a sense, not suicidal, but one could say it's, it's altruistic. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of beliefs are those that those people hold um, if, if they go on a suicide mission, uh, quote-unquote, if that's the right term to use? Yeah, that very diverse. Um, when when uh, explaining suicide attacks, you have to distinguish between different levels of analysis, I think. But why do organizations commit suicide attacks is a different question than why do individuals engage in a suicide attack. Organizations always have strategic reasons or, or often have strategic reasons for doing suicide operations, whereas for individuals, other motivations are play a role. Um, and these are hard to generalize. Um, research on suicide attacks shows that 
the, the, the backgrounds of the perpetrators are very diverse, um, socioeconomically speaking, but also religiously speaking. Some are very uh, serious believers for religion, very important for others. Religion is not a main factor. Um, it's also very important in the case of suicide attacks to, to look at the particular biographies of the perpetrator because we often see, for example, a, a sense of crisis or something happened in their lives after which they joined a, a radical group or decided to participate in such a mission. So there are a lot of different factors that, that play a role and it's, it's very hard to give a general answer to this question. Mm -hmm. Isn't, isn't it also true that sometimes it's very hard to tell what actually drives the perpetrators, sure. whether it's more religious beliefs or a kind of hidden wish to, to commit suicide? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's human motivations are very complex. Think, think about the question, why are we making this podcast now? Why are, why are we listening to this podcast? There are, this is the, these simple questions are very hard to answer, or we can cannot even give a clear answer to how we ended up here. Um, that's a very simple case compared to suicide attacks. It's very hard to give to give these these explanations, obviously. Yeah. Well, what I read, and, and maybe you can answer that as well, that especially on uh, Mohamed Atta, who was the um, main um, leader of the 9/11 attacks. Um, there's a huge discussion whether he was driven by religious motivation and some scholars say it was more uh, a wish to, to die. It could also be a diverse uh, combination of factors. But yeah. that, is that indeed a discussion within the field of terrorism? Yeah, it is uh, in the case of Mohammed Atta, but also the other 9-11 perpetrators, also um, suicide attacks that happened in Iraq or, or other Islamic State attacks in Europe. Um, I think um, it is... It is a combination, um, an ideology or a, let's say the idea of jihadism, uh, the idea that you are fighting a struggle for the sake of Islam to defend Muslims against unbelievers, that, 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 you, that you join such a group. This ideology can be attractive in certain circumstances and these circumstances can be personal, they can be societal or whatever. Um, but in a certain context, such an ideology might become attractive. And is the, in, in, therefore, it's very hard to give a definite answer. What is the most important? Is it the background or is it the ideology? It's a combination of the two. Can people use uh, ideology as an excuse to commit uh, horrendous crimes? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a lot of people... Um, who are not primarily motivated by the ideology will always, in hindsight, use the ideology as an excuse and as a reason to legitimize or justify the violence. And sometimes they even go to beliefs more strongly in a certain ideology after they committed crimes. So, for instance, someone doesn't torture because he hates a person or thinks that person is a bad person, but after he has tortured that person, he starts to think of that person as a bad person and starts to hate him because he felt he had to torture him. So in that sense, ideology, um, if it's not a, a primarily driving factor, motivating factor, it is a legitimizing, legitimizing factor in hindsight. Yeah, I, I, I agree to a certain extent. I, I would say that an excuse sounds that it is that it is on purpose that you start using or misusing religion after the fact. Um, I think 
it is it, it is also very well possible that religion that that these people are very sincere in their religious beliefs also in hindsight because religion for themselves also explains the actions can can help them in making sense of the events that happened so an excuse sounds sounds negative to me um in I, I think it can also be very sincere that people embrace religious ideas uh, or, or a non-religious ideology after they committed these crimes. This is not just a, a, a kind of utilitarian uh, idea to, to, um, to explain, to, to legitimize what they did. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, to some extent. I, I see it. I, I, I agree a bit with the use of the word uh, excuse, but... I've read uh, about perpetrators who, who, in hindsight, much more uh, looked at the ideology because the ideology made them still look like what they did is justifiable and yeah. acceptable. Yeah. And uh, so maybe excuse is not the entirely correct word, but it is what they hold on to to legitimize and justify what they just done because and, and to prevent to see themselves as a bad person. Yeah. No, I agree. But this, this can, I, I think my point is this can also be very sincere because committing mass atrocities is also, it can also be very traumatic also for a perpetrator, obviously. It's, it's, it, it is something um, that also, a, a person also needs to make sense of, of one's, one, one's, one's actions um, about, make a, make a story that, that is a bit coherent about one's, one's actions and, 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 and your life story, so to say. And religion can facilitate making such a story. And this can be, this can be very sincere, I think. So it's, and that, that's my, my issue with the, with the term excuse, I think. That, mm -hmm. that sounds like it is just misusing the idea of, of, of religion to explain to the outside world what happened. Yeah, on the other hand, in, in, in research on, on mass mass atrocities, you, you focus uh, more on terrorism, I, I focus more also on genocide, etc. There's also this idea of creating a separate reality. Um, that, for instance, doctors in Nazi Germany who helped kill uh, people said they created a separate reality that the genocide was actually a way of making, of curing the world. Um, so in that sense, ideology can help to create a separate reality in which uh, horrendous crimes are necessary and something you need to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, both of you mentioned that uh, committing mass atrocities can be a very traumatic experience for, for uh, the perpetrators. Um, how do those perpetrators in general perceive their own crimes? I think that the difficult issue in this question is the in general, in general part. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it depends on the on the on the crimes we are talking about. It depends on the context. It depends on the individuals. I think it's very hard to to uh, give a general answer to this question. Mm -hmm. What what different kinds of uh, themes do you see, or are there different kind of themes how people react to such a crime? Um, well, well, to give some examples from my, from my own field, from, from jihadism, Islamic State and groups like this, um, themes that are often very important, uh, in relation to, to the, to the crimes they committed are, uh, well, Islamic traditions, the idea that they are the pure believers, that they are God's soldiers who are purifying the earth, who are making the earth an, a, a good Islamic 
place, um, but not just religion. It's also what they always emphasize in their in their messages is also the political situation, uh, the oppression in the Muslim world by dictators, but also uh, oppression by Western powers who interfered in the Muslim world, uh, bombings in Palestine, Iraq, Afghanistan, etc. Um, so these political realities are also very important, and this, this they, they, in relation to that, they feel connected with their fellow Muslims, with the Ummah, the, the Islamic community, and they have the idea that they are defending the Islamic community, the, the, the Muslim world against these uh, atrocities by the West or by, by uh, mm -hmm. Arab dictators or whatever. Um, and uh, that they are, with their, with their violence, they are taking revenge. Uh, they are restoring the honor of the, of the Muslim community of Islam in the world because Islam is being humiliated. Um, so these ideas uh, like purity, but also oppression, humiliation, and, and honor are very important in their, in their explanations. I think I do see a, a general element, element to, to disagree a little with you, um, is that I feel that almost all perpetrators uh, do not see themselves as perpetrators, but as some people who do the right thing, do something good. And we see them, when we look at the mass atrocities, we describe them as perpetrators, but they see it different. So would, would you agree that that would be the general element? Yeah, I, I agree that most that, that perpetrators in general do not see themselves as perpetrators, but I think they have all kinds of different explanations for why they are not the perpetrators, but why they are actually the heroes in the story. Mm -hmm. um, when you when you talk about heroes in the story, um, I, I saw in one of your uh, in your articles there was I don't know if you remember, but there was a kind of poster of uh, the attackers of uh, the, the Paris attacks, yeah. um, which were depicted also for the listeners at home uh, in a kind of way in which we would depict our movie stars. Yeah, um, I remember. Is is this also one of? Might this also be? Uh, a motivation for those people. Yes, I think so. Um, I think, well, um, as, as I said, I'm, I, I've been studying propaganda a lot and the Islamic State is, is very good in making propaganda and they have also been using all these techniques, these editing and producing techniques uh, from, from Western films, from Western video games as well. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this poster, it, it depicts the perpetrators of the Paris attacks, but it's, it's indeed just like a film poster that, that announces this, this great film that's coming up. Mm -hmm. um, like these these perpetrators are, are kinds of movie stars almost and um i think this is a very uh, important element in the propaganda of the islamic state but i would say also in motivations of people who joined the islamic state and who committed violence on behalf of the islamic state um that the idea that they are on the one hand they are these these pure muslims but on the other hand they are also very um, modern heroes in this in this movie like or, or video game like scenario that they are fighting good against evil and that, that that they are saving the world as as if it is a video game almost so this this adventure seeking idea is also very important in relation to uh, to groups like islamic state and that attracts more people uh, to the islamic state sure i think i think especially this combination of on the one hand perceiving themselves as these authentic Muslim warriors and on the other hand waging a struggle that that perfectly fits into their daily lives into their into their modern daily lives that that's that's very attractive I think yes 
Do you also see this uh, in, in other types of, of mass atrocities, uh, Alette? Certainly the use of, of propaganda and this idea that you're the elitist force, like for instance in Nazi Germany, the SS saw themselves as the elite force, the, the superheroes who were uh, creating a better world, uh, the new utopia. Um, in that sense, they didn't use that well, maybe they did use that kind of posters as uh, as well, but the um, but less modern uh, probably. But I do think that plays a role. That this this within the ideology there is this in group that sees themselves as superheroes, and that is also part of the attractiveness of an ideology. Because if you are part of that superior elitist force, you yourself are a better person. At least that's the way how you see yourself. So this heroism does play a role. Yeah, I think so. I think I think the idea of of being this hero, it, it being part of this elite group of this this uh, pure group that that defends the in group against the out group, etc. That that can be very empowering for people. You can be something when you participate in this struggle. You can contribute to a better world, or whatever that means. Um, that that that. It gives a sense of, of agency that you can that you can achieve something in the world. So it gives meaning to your to your life. Actually, that is, I think, a very very important explanation for for violence in a general sense. And that that also explains the attractiveness of of these types of ideologies and maybe also of mass movements, where where people feel a bit lost in the world and they feel very insignificant and they can do very little. They're just yeah small individuals in this big world but if they're part of something bigger of a bigger movement or a bigger ideology or a bigger belief and they are at the forefront then it gives meaning to their lives and i think that helps explain also why it is so attractive such types of of ideologies especially to people who um, have difficulties in life who find it hard yeah, and also I think that the face of life is important because it's. I think it's not a coincidence that most people who join groups like Islamic State are, are very young people. Um, these are people who are who are constructing their identities, who are thinking about who am I, what do I want to achieve in the world, what can I do in the world, and this ideology of the Islamic State, jihadism in general, gives very clear-cut answers that can be can be empowering for these people. That's, that that can be motivating. So I think that is important. Yes. And then apart from age, what kind of individuals are susceptible to, uh, to ideologies? Um, in general, I could say, uh, I would say searching individuals, people who are unhappy with their lives or don't know yet how to fulfill their lives, who, who, who are searching, who have uh, had traumatic experience or feel experience hardships in their life, people who are marginalized, discriminated, socially rejected, all these kinds of, of things play play a role. Um, sometimes it's summarized by personal and political grievances. So it can be really personal that you feel it's unfair that you have to live in a small house and can get a job, whereas other people live in a much bigger house and can get jobs, etc. It can also be a bit more political that you feel that a certain group is is discriminated or the world is is unfair. So I think it are 
people who are searching for something, who are aching, who are having a difficult time, are the most susceptible to be the most extreme followers. Do you see this the same, Peter? Yeah, I think this idea of, of, of searching, looking for meaning in life is, is very important, generally speaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you any of any of you have have concrete examples of of this playing out either with Islamic State or any other examples? It's, it's hard for me to give a very concrete example at this point. I think I think in general that's also what what research on on suicide attacks, for example, shows that these young people are are often looking for meaning, are mm-hmm. often looking for a social group they can they can bind with, are often looking for uh, purpose, what what they want to do in their lives, and um, I think this 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 idea plays a role in in many of the cases of suicide attacks, but also in many of the cases of of young people um, who went to Syria to join the Islamic State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that sometimes strikes me um, that people uh, have a, a life in in Western Europe, a relatively uh, wealthy life. Uh, and then decide to go to Syria uh, to put their lives at risk. Um, that is explained, do you think, through um, through being susceptible through this ideology? Um, yeah, in a certain way, I think this. But again, ideology plays it can be can be attractive in a certain context, mm-hmm. in a context of the life of these young people and uh, this life. Although it can be. A wealthy, good of, middle class, well educated person um, can still feel meaningless, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it, and in in those cases, um, such an ideology can be can be appealing because it gives meaning. Yeah, you see a lot of uh, people who went to the Islamic State, the foreign fighters. If you look at their biographies, you see a lot of people who felt. Um, indeed unhappy in life, they felt marginalized, discriminated, socially rejected, and then very often they get together in groups with people who are are similar. Uh, So the group element plays an important role in the radicalization process and eventually can play a role in ultimately going to, uh, for instance, the Islamic State. Um, and a leader sometimes also plays a very important role. So these these radical um, Islamists who, who preach and try to convince them. There are also certain recruitment um, mechanisms. But also social media and the internet can play a very important role in, in getting them into certain ideas where um, they then get together. But the, the group element is very, very important. In the Netherlands, for instance, you had the, the Hofstad group as one group where the group element played an important role that in a group people start to talk and then you can get this, this more extreme element. People in a group behave more extremely than they behave as, as individuals. Can you explain what the Hofstad group, uh, group is? The Hostad group was a, a group of, um, they were they were all Dutch nationals, but with a migrant background. So they were um, mostly second or third generation uh, migrants and felt somehow still marginalized and discriminated in, in Dutch society, where they felt they were not fully respected, uh, not fully accepted, and therefore got together. And there was also uh, a, a certain 
men not uh, clearly identified who was a leader within the group and they got together started to to read become more uh, extreme in their uh, religion um, but also in the acceptance of, of violence and um, yeah there was a group one of the, the the most prominent member of the group was Mohamed Bey who uh, at some point killed uh, Theo van Gogh in Amsterdam on on the streets Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree that this this social element is 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 very important in radicalization processes. No one no one hardly ever radicalizes completely on their own, mm-hmm. um, and this can be social connections online or offline, often a combination today. Um, but this is this is very very important because uh, this this these social contacts they they. People motivate each other within a group. People bond together within a group. People start to outbid each other in their in their devotion. In their there are a lot of elements in these social processes that are very important in processes of radicalization. Maybe it's good to mention that also for 9/11 you had the Hamburg group, which was very uh, important. Another thing that struck me is that you have a lot of people who knew each other for a long time. So people in these terrorist cells could be lifelong uh, or friends or neighbors or went to the same school, but also quite a lot of brothers. You had the Kuachi uh, brothers who played, um, who, who committed the attack on Charlie Hebdo mm-hmm. in uh, Paris. But you had also uh, brothers in the Paris attack, in the um, Brussels attack, in several of the other attacks where you had um, yeah, family members, close-knit uh, friends, together radicalizing and then committing an attack. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other important uh, steps in the radicalization process, uh, apart from the ones you mentioned so far? Um, prison sometimes plays um, an important uh, role. Some people um, go to, to prison, especially certain... Um, people who feel unhappy in society, marginalized uh, and discriminated, start to reject society. They can th- go through several means. They can start to commit certain crimes, they can radicalize, and they can turn to terrorism. But it can also be in that order sometimes, where they start to, for instance, commit crimes. Then some people... Um, are then apprehended, convicted, go to prison. And prison can sometimes play an important role. Um, as, as Peter said earlier, some people start to pick up a religion in prison. Mm. And for most people, that works uh, works well because religion gives them a lot of tools on how to improve their, their lives. But for some, that also leads to... Yeah, starting to believe in the religion, but then also go over the top and start to believe in the um, radical interpretations of religion and then become extremist and ultimately commit terror acts. Yeah, Um, yeah, I I definitely agree. I think, well, it's... it's, it might be a bit annoying again, but radicalization processes also are very different, obviously, mm-hmm. for, for different people. Uh, but I think s- s- some of the elements that are very important uh, have, have been mentioned, like the social element, but also the, the distance one starts feeling from society, from surrounding society for, for various reasons. Um, and social connections can be online, offline, but can also be built in prison. For example, several of the leaders of the Islamic State met 
in prison, in prison in an American U.S.-led prison mm -hmm. in Iraq, um, where where these leaders bonded, where they where they became close friends, and they started to run the Islamic State after uh, their release. Um, so this is this is, I think, a very concrete example that that prisons can be very uh, crucial in radicalization processes, but that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Now, did, didn't Markham write this book, uh, The Spectacular Few, saying that most people who turn to religion will not, uh, in prison, will not uh, resort to terrorism, but unfortunately those who yeah. will are the spectacular few. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, I, I have another thing mm -hmm. to answer to one of your previous uh, questions, yes. because... What struck me in the Netherlands is that uh, studying the, the people who um, radicalized in the Netherlands, um, that 9-11 also played a very important role. And I think it might be true for, for many other countries as well. And I was struck by the autobiography of um, a, a young Dutch uh, guy who, who radicalized. And actually he radicalized right after 9-11. So he saw 9-11 and thought this was a hor horrendous attack. But then the next day he went to school. He was still a fairly uh, young boy, uh, 16, I think, something like that. And his classmates all turned to him and said, why did your people commit that attack? Mm. And he was like, what do you mean, my people? These are terrorists. These are not my people. But all the Dutch boys and girls in the class kept insisting um, that they were his people. Well, why? He was born in the Netherlands. He was Dutch as well, but he had a migrant background. He was second or third generation uh, migrant. And suddenly he felt pushed into the group of the terrorists. And this reaction of his classmates made him to radicalize. Then he said, well, if I'm not part of society, uh, cannot be part of this society, well, then apparently I'm part of that group. So uh, I think 9-11 played an important role where Bush very clearly said, you're either with us or against us. But instead of having the world against terrorists who commit horrendous attacks, for some people, it was a bit more the Western world against the Islam. That is at least how some people experienced it. And I think that was also an important factor in the radicalization of, of people. But I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I, I agree. But, but then basically it was not 9-11 itself that was an important factor, but, but especially the responses to 9-11. And I agree that feelings of discrimination, of exclusion are often important in radicalization processes because they can, they can facilitate this idea that I don't belong to this society. I don't belong to this, to this, to this group of people. And we just said, disconnecting from society is is a, is a pattern in radicalization um so i i agree that that 9-11 but especially the the, the responses to 9-11 in society have been important as you as you look at the biographies of people who radicalized is the statement from bush uh, you're either against us or with us is that a smart one according to you no, <laughs> I don't think so, because it does exactly what exclusionary uh, ideologies do and make this very clear distinction between us and them. And I think it would have been much better 
if he merely said, well, these types of crimes are unacceptable and we're going to fight that rather than create this diversion. But I'm yeah. not sure how you think about it. Yeah, well, it, it depends on the on the aim of the of the of the phrase, obviously, because creating such a distinction can also mobilize your own group. It can also bind your own group. If that was the aim, then I can imagine. But in general, I would say Reddit, jihadi groups have always profited from polarization within mm-hmm. societies. Um, they even play upon these feelings of being discriminated, being excluded in society. So they, they try to try to increase polarization in our society. So from that perspective, I think statements like these and, and creating these black and white images of, of good and evil is, is not very helpful. Uh, what do uh, jihadi do to to increase polarization? Um, well, committing committing attacks, for mm-hmm. example, because they know that attacks, responses to attacks, as we just discussed in the case of nine eleven, will increase polarization. Um, they, uh, I've, I've also been uh, interviewing Islamic State supporters over the last, uh, over the last, well, almost ten years. Um, they were very happy when Trump got elected, for example, because they knew this will increase polarization in the United States. They were very pleased with Brexit. They, they, they applaud these kind of right-wing populist leaders in uh, popping up in, in the Western world because they know this will increase polarization and that will drive some people to us. It's fascinating. Um, is that also one of the reasons, and uh, does this also explain why uh, the methods that the jihadi used to uh, execute people are, are, at least according to Western standards, uh, so brutal, so violent? Um, I think so. But, well, at least... Part of the idea behind these these brutal uh, acts of violence, like these these beheadings and these crucifixions mm-hmm. and uh, the burning of people, etc., um, is is to attract media attention, um, so that that their their group and their cause uh, become known in, in in the world at large. Mm-hmm. Um, but these these acts of violence are also often very symbolic in the way that they are being performed. Um, Well, I I can give a a very concrete example. Um, uh, For example, the burning of this Jordanian pilot in early 2015 by the Islamic State, Mm -hmm. Moira Kossasbe, the Jordanian pilot who was captured by the Islamic State, um, and he was uh, burned alive. In, in a cage, um, in and a it cage. Was, was videoed, right? Yeah, indeed. The Islamic State, as some days later, they, they published this video um, showing the burning of this Jordanian pilot. And um, this is obviously a very brutal case of violence, but it's not just to attract media attention, or it's not just brutal. There's an idea behind this execution, and that, that's being explained in this video by the Islamic State. They, they In this video, they show the execution, but they also tell this story about the execution. Um, and in the first part of this video, they start telling about uh, the, the war between the Islamic State and their enemies, and they particularly emphasize 
the cruelty of the enemies and the bombings of the enemies, the anti, anti-Islamic State coalition had started bombing in Syria and Iraq by then. They show all these horrendous footage of the results of these bombings, like destroyed buildings, but also people being killed, uh, children under the rubbish, etc., because of these bombings. And then they show the Jordanian pilot and they start explaining, we kill this Jordanian pilot in revenge. We retaliate for the, for, the, for the crimes that the West did against us. And it's not just a retaliation, it's a very symbolic retaliation because they said this pilot has bombed us and by, through, through, through these bombs they have burned Muslims on the ground. We are now burning this pilot just like the West has been burning our people. That's the idea behind this, this execution of the Jordanian pilot. It's a very symbolic form of, of retaliation, one could say. This is, um, I, I know the response in the West, at least from uh, the, the people I'm surrounded with. Um, what is the response in uh, uh, people uh, in the area where Islamic State has, has power? Is that more positive? No, it's, it's the same. Um, also, people. Well, this, this pilot was from Jordan, a neighboring country. Mm-hmm. People, people were very upset by this uh, by this act of the Islamic State, um, and the same in Syria and Iraq. And you should realize that most people living there were not supporters at all of the Islamic State. Um, it were it were supporters of the group that could un- could understand why the Islamic State did this. Mm-hmm. Not not even all of them, some 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 even some supporters didn't disagree with this this burning of the pilot because it was too horrific or because they said burning is not an Islamic punishment. Mm-hmm. They didn't it, agree it, with the uh, with exactly, the punishment. Yeah. They, they didn't agree with the punishment. Mm-hmm. But um, no, it was it was in general uh, you know, negative. Okay. Uh, was that the same for for the beheadings? Was that also, uh, 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 what's the word, um, were there also mixed responses on this? Uh, yeah, sure, yeah. Um, and I, I think you were referring to the beheadings of the, these uh, American and British uh, journalists and aid workers in 2014-2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were beheaded by the Islamic State, which was also recorded on video, and these videos were released by the Islamic State. Um, These were also presented as retaliation because uh, the United States had just started bombing in Iraq and Syria against the Islamic State and these these people were killed as as, as retaliation for these bombings, uh, according to the Islamic State. Um, I think, um, again, most people also in the Middle East itself are obviously appalled by these these acts. Um, I think... What, what should not be underestimated is uh, the views that many people, and especially, of course, supporters of the Islamic State, have of the West and of the United States. Because they, they also see the bombings, or some of them see the bombings in Syria and Iraq as part of a pattern, as part of a pattern of Western interference in the Muslim world, of Western oppression in the Muslim world, of, of bombings all across from Somalia to Afghanistan of, of the Iraq invasion that, that caused a lot of, a lot of, well, that people, a lot of issues in, in, in the Middle East, in, in Iraq itself. Um, so 
many people oppose these these foreign policies of the United States, and and in that sense, um, I think also people oppose interference in Iraq and Syria. For example, what what you heard a lot back then was why is the West now bombing the Islamic State, but why didn't they do anything against Bashar al-Assad, against the president in, of, of, of Syria, mm-hmm. uh, the president of Syria who had killed more people than the Islamic State, who had uh, used uh, chemical weapons against its, its civilians, who has a, a huge track record of torture, of, of human rights abuses, etc. Why is the West attacking the Islamic State and not Bashar al-Assad. And these ideas of, of hypocrisy, I think, are, are uh, very widely spread across across the region. And not that people then start to agree with the actions of the Islamic State, but the Islamic State plays upon these feelings in its, in its, in its stories, in its propaganda. They play upon these feelings of, of a certain yeah, criticism on, on the West and Western foreign policies. I think that you there again see the role of ideology, actually, because the ideology we described as a set of ideas, but it also gives meaning to certain actions, and it changes what we see as horrendous crimes into acts of self-defense or retaliation or something uh, that is for specific reasons justified, but it is especially the meaning they give to certain acts. And that is where you come back to this very important role of ideology. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I, th- I think these, these acts are, are um, embedded in these these bigger, more more systematic sets of ideas and beliefs that these these people uphold. And and I think uh, that is an important background to give meaning to these these acts of violence and to legitimize these acts of violence. Do we as the West also have ideologies that um, uh, cause differential responses uh, to, to different leader, leaders such as Assad and maybe Islamic State? Well, isn't it the case that, for instance, we believe a lot in, uh, or I mean the Western world, in democracy, human rights, etc. But very religious believers um, believe, well, that is man-made law, and man-made law is always inferior to God-made law. And that's Mm -hmm. why, um, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, certain people with extremist interpretation of of, uh, the Islam, for instance, say, well, God-made law is always superior to man-made law, and therefore reject that, whereas we see that very differently. Yeah, well, first of all, we've been talking a lot about Islam now. we have religious ideologies also from other religions. I think that's, that's first of all, important to emphasize. Mm-hmm. But I also think it is very important to emphasize that there are a lot of non-religious ideologies that have caused a lot of, uh, caused a lot of well, not, not immediately caused, but that have played a role in violence and mass atrocities. Um, I think it is, yeah, in that, in that sense, ideology can go can go different ways and i would say it's not it's not that one ideology is worse than another mm-hmm. um we've also seen a lot of violence in relation to 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 uh nationalism or national ideologies um which also have have ideas we are better than they are same as in we the believers against you the unbelievers um 
indeed people with a religious ideology and especially these radical extremist ideologies often find themselves better than the than the, than the non-believers but i would say the same is also true for other for other ideologies um the idea of embracing this ideology believing in this ideology kind of implies that your ideology is superior to other ideologies yeah yeah no you're 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 very right because we're we're focusing very much on on religious ideologies but a lot of crimes have been committed out of communism the uh, example, Khmer Rouge yes. in in Cambodia was was driven by uh, communist ideas but in in China and the Soviet Union uh, Communism played a, a bigger role. Nationalism uh, is a religion, uh, sorry, a religion, <laughs> ideology that, um, yeah, got a lot of people uh, killed. So, yeah. So I- ideology in a broad sense uh, can play a role in mass atrocities. Is that a conclusion we can draw from today's podcast? I would think it always plays a role. It always plays a to role? To some extent. Peter? I think it's also very important. Also very important. All right, then uh, thank you very much. Uh, for joining us both of you and at home thank you very much for listening and we hope to see you back uh, next week for next podcast